Good evening. I'm going to be trying something a bit different with this video. We're going to spend the next couple of hours together while I tell you some of my favourite ghost stories and creepy tales that I've come across online recently. Some are long, some are just quick little reports. When the stories end, you'll continue to hear the sounds of the rain. I'll leave this playing for a while, in case you have fallen asleep. If you want to see more of these, give this video a like, or if you prefer to dive into specific topics more, then let me know in the comments. If I do more of these, I'd love to feature some of your stories as well. You can find my email in the description, or you can post your story in the comments. I've included all the sources for the stories in the description if you want to dig in any further. But for now, get comfortable. I want you to imagine that you are sitting in the passenger seat of a car. Rain is starting to pour outside. The drops hitting the windshield. The headlights illuminate the road a few feet in front of you. But other than that, there is only darkness all around. You haven't seen another car for a long time as you travel down this dark, deserted road. The driver turns on the radio, tuning but not picking up any stations, until you come across something. It seems to be some sort of news show, just a single voice. No callers. The presenter is telling some creepy, but supposedly true stories. Tales of ghosts. Reports of sinister people on the loose. Stories of dangerous trends. You get comfortable in your seat, close your eyes, and listen to the first story. This encounter happened to a sergeant in the US Army. When President Bush issued the order to send more soldiers to Iraq in 2003, this sergeant was due to be getting out. But when he was called into his local National Guard unit at Camp Marbury, he was informed that he would be recalled to the Army. The unit had already been assigned to deploy to Iraq. He hadn't long arrived home in Austin, Texas, when the order came through. The commander provided him with a waiver to deploy with Halliburton in Houston, since he was not a member of their unit. He quickly accepted the offer, since he knew that working as a contractor would be better pay. The sergeant started working with the operations team, handling logistic operations, not long after landing in Kuwait at Camp Doha. He would be in charge of overseeing the daily supply convoy between Kuwait and Baghdad, a route rife with IED occurrences, small arms battles, and nearly sporadic vehicle failure for the army and civilians. He frequently participated in the convoys, manning a mounted weapon that accompanied the primarily civilian convoys. However, he reports having a few weird contacts during these runs in Camp Babylon 
region just south of Baghdad. Camp Babylon was built where the fabled Tower of Babel is claimed to have once stood. It was occupied by French troops, but was later designated an archaeological monument for obvious reasons. It appeared from the nearby ruins that a large building had formerly stood there. Whilst travelling through the area, two odd things happened to the sergeant. The first incident. The troops surveyed the horizon for enemies, as engineers searched the road for explosive devices. Nothing. Most likely the enemy left as soon as they saw the convoy heading towards the ruins. However, there was some confusion here, because a number of the troops reported seeing figures in the distance. They soon started referring to them as shadow figures, that appeared to be moving around the Camp Babylon ruins. They saw the figures several times, but they always vanished right away. How peculiar that we are fighting the supernatural while standing in the shadow of Babel, remarked a contractor who was sleeping next to the sergeant with his weapon. The sergeant remained silent, but was aware the contractor was a 32nd degree mason who was very interested in the mysterious elements of Babylon. At the time, he didn't think there was anything supernatural about this, but he said he definitely saw the shadowy and oddly, he described little figures darting around the buildings. Once the road was deemed clear, they continued on to Baghdad. A month or so later, there was a second event. By this time it was getting quite chilly at night in southern Kuwait and Iraq. They had just finished the supply run to Baghdad and were heading back to Camp Doha in Kuwait during this encounter when one of the vehicles in the convoy broke down. Once again, they discovered themselves at Camp Babylon. Strange things started to happen as they took up battle positions surrounding the area as the army mechanics examined the vehicle. In the middle of the desert, a weird light first appeared. The soldiers were wearing night vision goggles. Suspecting it was a human holding a flashlight, they kept an eye on it. It was a bright ball of light that was going in the direction of some ruins. A couple of the soldiers stepped forward away from the convoy after first noticing the light to investigate. But through the goggles, they could see the dot of light, but no human figure standing behind it. At this point, they became a little concerned. The next sound was something the sergeant said he would never forget. A continuous wailing began not far away from one of the abandoned buildings. It sounded lonely and agonizing, like a woman in pain. The sounds continued whilst the soldiers shivered in the frigid darkness, wondering what the hell they were hearing. They illuminated the ruins with flashlights while wearing their night vision goggles. If you've ever used a conventional flashlight with night vision goggles, you are aware that it appears as a huge beam of light. They thoroughly searched the region, but neither the whales nor the ball of light could be located. After some time, they made the decision to rejoin the convoy at this point. After receiving radio communication 
that the vehicle had been fixed and was ready to move. At this point, he noticed one of the soldiers who had joined him in the search was gazing at the ruins in horror. He was paralyzed with fear. The sergeant shook him. He snapped out of his stupor, quickly leaving the area with the rest of them without saying a word. A few of them were talking about the experience at Camp Babylon the following morning. Seemingly, no one was comfortable talking about what they had seen and heard on that dark road back to camp. It was at this moment that the sergeant recalled the soldiers' fearful stance as they were about to leave. So he asked him what he had seen that had scared him so much. The soldier explained, visibly still shaken as he started to speak, that as they were leaving their position on the sandy hill, he noticed a tall dark person standing next to the ruins. It was keeping an eye on us as we searched for him, her or it. He claimed that he had an immediate rush of despair and believed that he was about to die. Despite seeing a figure, he did not tell his fellow men about the possible danger. He was frozen, like fear or something else had overridden his mental capacity. He didn't recall leaving the area. His next memory was in the Humvee, headed back to Kuwait. The sergeant now works for a publishing house, writing books about many haunted locations. But he said he will never forget the wailing he heard in the Babel ruins. It's also important to note that some of the Pakistani staff at the camps were shocked when they heard this story. One of them claimed that they had come into contact with a jinn, also known as a damned spirit, and that they were fortunate enough to be alive to tell their tale. Another story of strange lights features a pair of students on a dark quiet road in Ohio. This is the story of the ghost of Oxford Milford Road. Writer Brad Coop was a student at Miami University in Ohio when he started a student magazine. He had heard a number of rumors that the town of Oxford that he was studying in was one of the most haunted places in America. So he thought it made perfect sense to write about some of the area's most famous ghostly tales. One ghost story seemed to stick with him more than any other though. And that was the tale of the ghost of Oxford Milford Road. The story goes that back in the 1940s, there was a young man who was dating a woman in the more rural areas of the town. The girl's parents did not approve of their daughter's taste in men so he was forced to visit her late in the night after they had gone to bed. When the coast was clear, the girl would sneak out of the house and flash the lights on her parents' car three times to signal to her boyfriend that it was safe to approach. He would then slowly ride his motorcycle up the path to 
called their farmhouse. After a number of nights of doing this without being caught, it would appear the young man grew a bit too confident and started riding faster down the road. Convinced that their bedroom on the far side of the house was far enough away that they couldn't hear him. But riding a bike at that speed down a rural road in the dark might not be the brightest idea. He took a turn just before the house a little too sharply. The motorcycle went flying off the road and the man along with it. He did not survive. But for decades after, people have spoken about seeing his ghost late at night on this stretch of road. Brad for some reason couldn't shake this particular story from his head and decided to head out there one night with his partner to see if they could see anything. She was less of a skeptic than him and was terrified about the idea of going out there. Brad on the other hand thought that there was no chance this could be true. The farmhouse still stood to this day, albeit abandoned. As they drove past one night, Brad suggested they go and investigate. After some persuading, they soon turned their car into the long deserted driveway that led up to the farmhouse. Brad switched off the engine and with a moment of hesitation, flicked his lights on and off three times. Almost instantly, there in the distance, appeared a single headlight. The couple were stunned, but obviously at first assumed it was just a coincidence. That was until the headlight started heading up the path towards them. It seemed to be moving slowly at first, but it just kept coming closer and closer. Brad's partner was freaking out by this point, and he flipped on his headlights as the light got close, convinced they would see someone on a bike approaching them. But as Brad's headlights illuminated the drive in front of them, they could see that no one was there. The light had gone. They got out of the car, but could find no possible source of this light. Still to this day, the couple swear that what they saw is true and remains completely unexplainable. Over here in the UK, a number of people have been making some strange reports over the recent months. In Landon in Essex, a number of residents have been complaining about loud disturbing music being played late at night. But seemingly no one could discover the source until now. A 30 year old man who doesn't wish to be named was walking home late one Friday night around 2am when he started to hear the creepy music in the distance. It piqued his interest he didn't think too much of it and continued his walk. 
that was, until the sound started to grow louder. The man began to speed up. The music grew louder. He turned back to see a van approaching him on the deserted road, with a loudspeaker strapped to the top. The van slowly moved towards him. The creepy music emitting from the speaker as it went. Obviously, not being something you want to come across at 2am, the man kept his gaze forward and walked even faster. It didn't take him long to realise that the van had now caught up with him and was slowly crawling behind him. The sound of the loud disturbing music ringing in his ears. The man, either in a moment of bravery or fear, turned to look at the van once more. Now it was closer, he could just about see inside. He could make out in the darkness of the van four large figures, dressed as clowns. The man turned and started to run. The van sped up, chasing after him. Luckily, after making a few quick turns that the van wasn't able to travel down, the man was able to evade the four clowns. But that hasn't quite been the end of this story. Reports continue of the van pulling up outside the homes of children and playing its haunting tune as they sleep. But seemingly, no one else has seen it in person, only heard its terrifying sounds. Is this a harmless prank, or something much sinister? In some ways, it might be better if we never know. Reddit user Zerbo shared this horrifying tale of their experience one night in an ambulance. These are his words as he wrote them. The ambulance company that I used to work for had a haunted ambulance, Rig 12. A lot of EMTs had stories about it, but I never put much stock in paranormal stuff. That is, until I had my own experience with Rig 12. My partner and I were working in a rural community at 3am, and it was pitch dark and completely quiet. We were both dozing. I was in the driver's seat and she was in the passenger seat. up to a muffled voice and I thought my partner was talking. I told her I was trying to sleep and close my eyes. I distinctly heard a male voice say, oh my god, am I dying? Followed by a few seconds of heavy breathing. My partner and I sat up straight and looked back into the patient compartment where it sounded like the voice had come from. Things were quiet for a couple of seconds, 
and then we heard the click of an oxygen bottle regulator and a hiss as if it was leaking. I turned on the lights and we ran out of the rig. I thought a transient might have climbed in while we were asleep. So we opened the rear doors. No one was there. I checked the oxygen bottles. Neither was opened. We didn't sleep much after that. Still comfortable? You're sitting in that passenger seat still. The falling rain all around you. Only the sound of the driver's breathing and the crackle of the radio fill your ears. Wait, do you remember who was driving? You don't have time to think about that, because that's when you feel a breath on the back of your neck. No, don't worry about that. Ignore it. There's no one there. Just listen to my stories. Let the rain fall and listen. You are perfectly safe. I promise. Nineteen sixty five, Berkshire. A report in the Reading Evening Post said that a couple was sitting in a car on a lonely field path at Hawthorne Hill when all of a sudden they were startled by the loud noise of galloping nearby. Acting on sudden impulse, the girls switched on the headlamps of the car and they were both astonished to see a powerful looking horse ridden by a young man in a jockey's cap and colours which was visible for a moment or two as it passed through the headlamp beams. Shaken by the experience, they made some inquiries in the local area. No horses were being exercised at that time of night. But a young man in the local pub had a more chilling possibility for them. I reckon what you saw was George and Kruger. My grandfather says he often saw them up on Hawthorne Hill over winter night, the young man said. When they tracked down the young man's grandfather, he gave them some more information about the story of George and Kruger. In the winter that Queen Victoria died, there had been a tragedy at Hawthorne Hill Racecourse. The lad of 19, his name was George, had ridden a normally quiet five-year-old called Kruger in the last race of the day. It had been the young jockey's first race, 
and it proved to be his last. The horse fell at the open ditch near Redstone Farmhouse and rolled on him. Young George was killed, but Kruger got up and ran off and lived for many years afterwards. The ghostly apparition has been reported a couple of times since. But the story the grandfather had told them was in fact true. Newspaper reports confirmed the death of George back in 1900. Is it possible that George was reunited with his horse in the afterlife? and continues to ride him to this day. Underneath Paris, you'll find over 200 miles of tunnels filled with the remains of millions of long dead people. The Paris Catacombs has long been a top tourist destination, but the tours only cover a small section of the catacombs. The majority has been off limits to the public for almost 70 years. But that doesn't stop the more adventurous explorers. Years ago, deep in the catacombs, a tape was found. tape that felt like something straight out of a horror movie. It appears to show a man venturing into the tunnels that looked like they haven't been disturbed for some time. It's unclear if the man is lost or just exploring, but over time he appears to grow more and more frightened, before suddenly breaking into a run. The man attempts to get away from something, but continues to take turns that seemingly drag him down deeper and deeper into the catacombs. Eventually, he drops the camera. We hear his footsteps disappearing off into the distance. The camera continues to record until its battery dies. To this day, the man has never been found. A documentary team did in fact venture into these tunnels to try and track down any evidence of the man's fate, but were unsuccessful. Reports of a man's voice and screams have said to be heard in the tunnels, around where it suggested he may have disappeared with the amount of corpses that are buried under the streets of Paris. It's hard to say if these sounds are coming from the lost man, or any number of spirits that he now may very well reside with. Staying in reportedly haunted locations has become an industry almost on its own. 
paranormal researchers and skeptics alike line up to spend the night in some of the most famous haunted houses in the hope of experiencing some form of paranormal activity. However, while many come away from these experiences unscathed, it might not be such a safe pastime. This would certainly be the case when a man named Robert stayed at the infamous Velasca Axe Murder House in 2014. The house in Velasca, Iowa, has been a huge attraction for those interested in the darker aspects of our world for many years. Back in 1912, the house was the site of a horrifying unsolved murder that saw six children and two adults brutally killed by an unknown axe-worded maniac. The house was restored back in the 90s to its 1912 state and for a little over $400 you could stay the night. Reports of apparitions holding axes and the wails of children have been reported to be heard by many. But what Robert experienced was something far more visceral. It's not known exactly what had happened, but in the early hours of the morning, Robert's companions entered the room he was staying in find him laying in a pool of blood with a stab wound on his chest. The group quickly called 911 and Roberts was rushed to the hospital. It was suggested by the sheriff's office that Roberts injuries had been self-inflicted, seemingly stabbing himself in the chest. Interestingly, the time the officers gave for the incident was 12.45am, the same time the infamous axe murders were said to have taken place. Robert luckily recovered from his injuries, but has refused to speak publicly about what happened that night. The house remains open to the public, and it appears that no such incidents have happened again. since Robert's traumatic experience happened over a hundred years after the initial murders, maybe whatever resides in that house is just waiting for the right time. Here is a fascinating letter that dates back to World War II. In Scotland last year, while walking through an ancient forest with my husband, we took a shortcut through the wild glen and intended to walk down the bank of the Fillon. We came to an open space, flat and treeless, and full of sun haze. As we entered, my husband remarked, I don't like this place, it's too old and dead. 
I was about to reply that I felt it only peaceful, but I suddenly had the sensation of depression almost amounting to hopelessness. What I saw was more of a feeling, as if all about me was snow, under a leaden sky, and behind me there were people, and their eyes were without hope. My husband saw that I was oddly frightened, and so we left. We told them at the hotel that we'd felt spooky at one place in the forest. The late Mr. Alastair Stewart said, Oh yes, that would be where a whole village was lost in the snow. They all starved to death. We are both Celtic, but neither of us is in the least psychic. One thing I do know though, is that even if I were chased by Hitler and his grisly gang, I would not enter that forest again. It's a woman. The breath on the back of your neck. It's a woman. Could you know that? You're imagining things. Just turn around and check. No, don't check. Just listen to the stories. Just get some rest and listen to the stories. This next tale comes from a magazine interview with a young woman named Katie who had a terrifying experience while living in an old converted mill as a teenager. Again, I have kept this one in Katie's own words. The house I was living in was called the Old Mill. My parents and I moved there when I was 14. It was a converted mill that still had a water wheel on the side. It didn't move, it had been inactive for some time. Along with all the cogs and workings of the wheel inside. There's been various different mills in its time. Sawmill, paper mill, flour mill. It was converted into a house in the 1950s. But the oldest parts of the house date back to the 12th century. I never really sensed anything when we viewed the house. I just found the history of the building fascinating. And it was a beautiful house. So I was excited to move there. It was about six months after we moved that this man first appeared in my bedroom. I remember the first time I saw him. I thought someone had broken in. I remember screaming and yelling to my parents. There's someone in the house. But by the time they got there, he had vanished. We searched the house. Nothing. No signs of him. I was a bit freaked out for a while. 
and I thought maybe my mind was just playing tricks with me. But then I saw him again about a week later, in the exact same spot in the corner of my bedroom. I remember I was home alone and screaming, what do you want? Still at this point, thinking it was someone breaking in. I remember scrambling for my phone, ready to dial 999. But then he spoke to me and said, I just want to be friends. I used to live here. I just want to visit and see what you've done with the place. So I asked him, when did he live here? And that's when he said, 1874. I thought he was kidding, but then I noticed his clothing. It was very old fashioned, very Victorian era, in a brown suit, holding a top hat. I screamed again and ran out into the garden. Then, when I went back in, he was gone. I was so freaked out, I didn't tell my parents because they would think I was out of my mind and seeing things. The next time he appeared, he told me his name was Arthur. I always found it strange that he appeared in the exact same spot in the corner of my room. I also noticed that he had a lot of bruising around his neck. I asked him about it once, but he looked very sheepish and then disappeared. He didn't look that old, maybe in his mid-forties. At the time I was going through a rough spell with depression. He started appearing every time my head was in a dark place, and he started encouraging these negative thoughts and feelings. This is when I realised he wasn't just a spirit visiting somewhere he used to live. I felt he had caught on to the negative energy around me and encouraged it to make him stronger. This is when I told my parents. I think they thought it was just voices in my head to do with my mental health. We sought medical help, but I just felt that nobody took it seriously. That's when we decided we needed to move out of the house. The thing was, as soon as I left the house, it all stopped. He left me alone. The voices stopped. That's how I knew I wasn't simply going mad or having some sort of episode. When I told him we were moving, he was very angry and told me, you're mine. That's when the figure of two girls appeared. Every time they appeared, he would disappear. They were about the same age I was at the time, 15, 16. One of them spoke to me, her name was Mary. She just said, I needed to leave, to get out, and to save myself from him. 
I believed her. There was even one time when Mary possessed me. I have no recollection of any of it. So I'll just tell you what my parents told me about it as they witnessed it. I was laying in my bed crying and they were comforting me. Apparently my body went stiff for about 5 to 10 seconds and then I started talking. But it wasn't my voice at all. I was saying, get out, get out. You need to protect yourselves from him. Save yourselves. And then I had a coughing fit and came to. When my parents and I eventually moved out of the house, it felt like a breath of fresh air, like a weight had been lifted off our shoulders. Luckily, the sale of my parents' business meant we could buy and move into a new house before selling the old mill. I'm very appreciative that we managed to do that because I was just at the point where I needed to be out of that house. When we moved into our new home, we got chatting to one of our neighbours. It turned out he was a medium. We told him about all of our experience with the old house. And he offered to go down there with one of his medium friends to see if they picked up on anything. Now, we didn't tell him all the details, but what he and his medium friend found out was amazing. Turns out, Arthur was a priest who lived there in the 1870s. It turned out he had held two girls captive there, Mary and Elizabeth, and he had accidentally killed them. He felt so guilty and ashamed of what he did that ended up hanging himself, you guessed it, in the corner of what would become my bedroom. We managed to sell the house a year ago. We did tell the new owners that we had some spiritual activity, but we didn't tell them the full extent of it. We didn't want to sell the house to a family who had any young girls, as we didn't want them experiencing something similar to what I did. Luckily, it was a lovely elderly couple who brought it, and when we told them about it being slightly haunted, they thought it was rather splendid. I've now become very aware of the fact I can sense spirits. Even in the home we live in, I sense my grandparents who passed away a few years ago. I wouldn't say I would never again live in a haunted house, because I feel all houses have a history to them. Even new builds, as there will be history to the land they're built on. Just as long as the spirits are friendly and wish me no harm. There appears to have been an increased interest in playing games with spirits. Young people all around the globe are discovering rituals that they can perform that opens some sort of doorway to another world. 
some of these games are just for fun. But others, others appear to have much higher risks involved. Despite having been around for the better part of 25 years now, one game appears to be catching on all over again. Using this game, you can ask a question from an unknown entity. Does he hold a wealth of secret information? Or could he simply be a demon, toying with those who dare invoke him? Well, the only way to find out would be to talk to the answer man yourself. Here's how it played out for one group of friends. In a group of ten they gathered, in a quiet house, where they knew they would not be disturbed for the evening. Each brought along a mobile phone. Not their personal phones, something cheap and disposable. The phones needed to be able to make and receive calls, but nothing else was required. These phones would be destroyed by the end of the evening. In this case, the group collectively wrote down a series of questions that they wanted to be answered. But it's not essential. All players could have their own personal questions if they desired. The players all sat in a circle and gave their phone number to the person on their right. Then all players counted to three. At the exact same time, they placed a call to the person on their left. In many cases, all ten phones might go to a busy tone or voicemail. If this happens, then the game has failed. It's important to put all your phones away, leave the property, and do not talk to one another again until the following morning. However, in this case, one phone did connect. However, the voice on the other end of the line wasn't one of the group. This person's call had been answered by something else. The person who was successful asked a question from their list as the others listened intently. It's important that you remember the answers he gives you in detail. After he had answered one of their questions, the answer man had a question of his own. If you play this game, it's important that you answer his questions as honestly and fully as possible, and answer quickly. The answer man does not like waiting. In this case, the answer man decided that the answer he received was satisfactory so he allowed the caller to ask another question. As long as the answer man finds your answers to his questions acceptable, then this process can go back and forth for some time. You ask a question, then he asks one. Whatever you do, do not put the phone on speakerphone and do not pass it around. The answer man has decided who he wants to speak to and he will not be happy 
if his wishes are disregarded. When the group had run out of questions, they said to the answer man, Thank you for your time, but I have to go now. But the answer man never wants to end a game so quickly. Every question he asks you gives him the opportunity to get what he truly wants. He made offers of free information. But in this case, the caller did what you should always do. Repeatedly say, thank you for your time, but I have to go now. Eventually, and luckily for the group, the answer man accepted and hung up the phone. The group then gathered up the phones, destroyed them, and disposed of any remains. As I said, the answer man wants to keep you on the phone as long as he can, because he knows eventually he will ask you something you don't want to answer. And that is precisely what he wants. If you are dishonest or leave out any important details in your answer to him, he will deem that answer unsatisfactory. And that is when you'll start to notice an odd tingle in a body part. It could be anything. But that is the part he has chosen for his payment. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But at some point, the answer man will come for what is owed to him. Is there anything creepier than a haunted dog? Let's take a look at two cases. One more well known, the other less so. I hope you aren't a fan of Frozen, because this one might spoil it for you. When we think of haunted dolls, we likely have the older vintage style in mind. Not modern Disney characters. But according to a news story from Houston, that is exactly what happened to one family in 2013. The doll recited phrases from the movie Frozen and sang Let It Go when a button on its necklace was pressed. For two years, it did that in English. Mother, Emily Madonia, said. In 2015, it started doing it, alternating between Spanish and English. There wasn't a button that changed these, it was just random. The family had owned the doll for more than six years and never changed its batteries. The mother says the doll would randomly begin to speak and sing even when it was switched off. A weird quirk, but not totally out of the realm of possibility that the doll was simply faulty. Eventually, many years later, the family decided to get rid of the doll and threw it away 
only to later discover it weeks later inside the bench in their living room. At this point, the doll stopped speaking English entirely and would only sing in Spanish when its button was pressed. They placed the doll into a rubbish sack and left it in their garage. The family were going away for a couple of days, but would put the doll out with the rest of the rubbish when they returned. However, when they returned they found Elsa sat in the backyard, like she was waiting for them. In an unusual ending to this story, the family sent the doll to a family friend who has taped the creepy doll to the bumper of his truck. Seemingly, Elsa is quite content there and hasn't bothered the family since. Made famous by the hugely successful Conjuring movies, the Annabelle doll has been given a newfound lease of life in our consciousness. The doll was acquired by the controversial paranormal investigators, Ed and Lorraine Warren, after it had reportedly been causing havoc in the home of two young nursing students. The doll remained locked up in the Warren's Museum of the Occult for decades, inside a locked glass case with the sign, warning, positively, do not open, attached to it. As soon as the Warrens brought Annabelle home, they started to encounter incidents involving it. The doll would appear in various rooms. Locked doors didn't seem to stop its teleportation, and Ed Warren even reports seeing the doll levitate. Black Cat would often appear in Ed's office, fascinated with his belongings, especially Annabelle. As quickly as the cat would appear, it would vanish again. The doll appeared to have a strong aversion to priests. Supposedly, Lorraine heard loud growls that reverberated around the house. She could find no source for the sounds, but coincidentally, they appeared to have coincided with two back-to-back -back calls from Father Kevin, a priest who had assisted them in the earlier investigation. But there were three recordings on their answer phone. In between Father Kevin's two calls were the growls Lorraine had been hearing. A detective who was investigating a murder that had been linked to witchcraft met with Ed at the Warrens' home. Ed went upstairs to make a phone call and told the detective to feel free to look around the museum. Ed would never find out what happened, but within five minutes the detective had run upstairs, white as a sheet. He just kept saying, the doll. The rag doll was real. Annabelle has been a key feature of the Warren's Occult Museum for decades, and there are countless stories of experiences people have had with her. From a priest whose car was totaled after mocking the doll, to ornaments exploding in the Warren's home when the doll was present, 
Workmen who visited the house often asked for the doll to be removed. The atmosphere that Annabelle seemed to create had an impact on anyone who came near her. But the most tragic incident comes from a young couple who visited the Warrens Museum. The man, seemingly trying to show off to his girlfriend, started banging on Annabelle's display case and started goading the doll to attack him. Ed had already warned him to be careful with the items in the museum. They had a strict no-touching policy, and with this show of disrespect, he asked the couple to leave. Later, the girl returned alone, clearly in shock and almost in a daze. She told the Warrens that after leaving the museum, her partner lost control of his motorcycle, crashing into a lamppost. He was killed instantly. You want to stop? It's fine. You aren't in any danger. They're just stories. And you're safe inside the car. It's only rain out there. And only you and the driver in here. You're safe. Listen to the stories. Don't turn around. A Reddit user recently shared this story. My wife and I moved into our old house in New England in summer 2000. We had looked at dozens of houses, but this one just immediately felt like home. Soon after, we invited our good friend James and his husband up for a weekend. Keep James and his husband in mind. We were pretty well into getting our late night party on, playing cards, drinking, smoking in the dining room. Out of the corner of my eye I saw, though the experience was more like perceived, very vividly, an older woman with jet black hair sitting next to the old upright piano in the corner. The piano came with the house. We specifically requested that the previous owner included it in the sale because we thought it was so cool and we didn't have much furniture. It wasn't even slightly scary. In fact, it was just like she was hanging out. I mentioned it to everyone and we laughed it off. Drinking and fun continued through the night. I was never really a ghost believer and still a skeptic 100% but the rest of this story makes me really wonder. Several weeks later, we met a neighbor from down the street who lived in the neighborhood for 45 years. You live in Muriel King House, 
she tells us. Muriel was a really interesting lady. She was a famous fashion designer in the 1930s that lived there alone after her husband committed suicide. Very tragic, but she was an interesting lady, very independent and ahead of her time. She travelled all over the world. She was Greek, I think. Greek, I ask. Weird question, but did she have black hair? Yes, she had jet black hair, even when she was an old woman. It was very striking. Yep, I got the chills right there. Many weeks later, I met another neighbour from down the street that had lived there for 60 plus years, and he starts telling me about Muriel. She was a famous fashion designer. She designed gowns for Rita Hayworth and all the classic film stars, and she designed costumes for Broadway plays too. Her parties were legendary, he tells me. She used to have all her gay boyfriends from Broadway come up on the train and they drink and sing show tunes at the piano in the dining room all night long. Now this all could be coincidental, but it just seems too much so. But she must have been an awesome woman. People from around town have given us some of her original drawings and even an unfinished dress she was working on. There haven't been any more Muriel sightings but shortly after my wife got pregnant, 20 years ago, we both woke up out of a cold sleep at the same time and looked at each other like, what the fuck? And then our bedroom door slammed hard. We like to think that Muriel wasn't a fan of kids. She never had any of her own. So she was like, later y'all, I'm out of here. Not all ghost stories create that creeping fear up your spine. Some are just interesting encounters that can lead people to learn a lot about the history of where they are living. Here's another story from a Reddit user. Last night at around 10pm my boyfriend and I were sitting in the living room to find a movie to watch on Amazon Prime Video. We have video surveillance cameras everywhere outside. Two that point to the front door at different angles. One for the backyard and one for the side of the house. The monitor screen is kept in the living room on the table next to the recliner that I was sitting in. I just sat down for not even five minutes then I heard a child's voice come over the monitor. The voice said, Hello? I thought to myself for a minute, Fuck, does my son have his bedroom window open and is yelling through the window for some reason? And the camera is picking it up because there is a camera next to his bedroom window. Then I remembered, No, it can't be because he was sleeping in my bed. I called up to him and he answered. I look at the monitor screen and I see a man who appeared to be very tall. 
He was wearing a red and white flannel shirt. He was holding a little girl's hand. She looked like she had striped long sleeves and frizzy blonde hair. They were walking up the steps to get into our entryway. I turned to my boyfriend and said, Somebody is here. We live in the middle of absolute nowhere. We live by a swamp. My closest neighbours are bears and coyotes and a couple of Amish houses about a mile or so down the road. So there are never ever any people, at least that we know of, who go walking down our streets, pitch black with no streetlights, on a back road at 10pm at night. So it seemed very strange to us. Just as the man and the girl get to our front door, my boyfriend opens the door and they were gone. Not a single trace or sign of them. My boyfriend goes outside by the road to see if he could see any cars, but there was nothing. We thought maybe they were having car trouble and stopped for help, but there were no signs of that being a possibility. I let the dog outside and my boyfriend went outside with a flashlight, but nothing was there. We watched the camera footage and the people coming to the door never recorded. We reviewed old camera footage and saw nothing that looked or sounded like that. We don't even know people that look like that, or of anybody that could have possibly come over that looked like that. My boyfriend does not believe in ghosts, but seeing that we had no explanation for it, I think he changed his mind. We have lived in this house for four years and I personally have never experienced anything until last night. My boyfriend admitted that the one night I was at work he saw something moving in the yard but thought it was an animal but went out to look and nothing was there. But my son's tire swing was swinging back and forth like crazy. My son has been complaining for the past few months that he doesn't like to sleep in his bed because it sounds like something is crawling around under his bed and his bed shakes. The original part of the house was built in the 1800s and it was used as an old schoolhouse. An addition was put onto the house 20 years ago to make it bigger. The old schoolmaster used to live across the street in a house that's no longer there. I talked to my boyfriend today and we both said what happened is really weird and we've come to terms with it possibly being a ghost sighting. I know I'm not crazy because he saw and heard the voice too. I have seen many ghosts in my lifetime. I just wonder what took so long for me to see one here. What bothers me is that it seemed like they wanted to get my attention and it makes me feel very uneasy. A few days leading up to this I would sit in the living room and just feel overwhelming dread and terrible anxiety. After seeing them I don't feel any of that anymore. So weird. My son hasn't been sleeping in his room because I'm not forcing him to. When he tells me these things, 
I let him know I believe him 100%. We are turning what used to be his playroom into a new bedroom. I wanted to see what he was experiencing in his current bedroom, so I went in there myself and took my naps before work in his room. And every single night, I would have a nightmare. So I said he could sleep in my room until his new room is ready, which will be ready hopefully in a couple of days. London, 1934. A young woman was walking past an office building near Alwich. One summer's day, when out of nowhere, passers-by saw her collapse. She had fainted. A group of onlookers rushed her to a nearby chemist. When she came to, she had an unusual experience to share. She claimed that a woman had fallen from one of the office windows, smashing into the ground right before her feet, moments before she fainted. The people who had seen her faint claimed they saw no such thing. What was unknown to this woman at the time was that in fact, 18 months earlier, another young woman had fallen through the window of an office building. She died in the very spot that she had fainted. Exorcism may seem like an outdated practice but it does still continue in many communities to this day. This tragic story takes place in 2016, as reported by Esquire. In August 2016, in North London, 26-year-old Kennedy began acting strange and aggressive following a pain in his throat. He reportedly bit his father, threatened to cut off his own penis and complained of a python or snake inside of him before his family restrained him to a bed with cable ties and excessive force. The BBC are quoted as saying, The family then set about attempting to cure Kennedy through restraint and prayer over the next three days, the court was told. His brother Colin told police, It was clear that thing was in him. What we believed was a demon because it was not natural. It was clearly trying to kill him, he said. We had to restrain him for himself. It was clear if we didn't restrain him, he could have tried to harm people in our family. Kennedy had been bound to his bed for three days without medical attention when his brother called emergency services, explaining that Kennedy was complaining of dehydration. He appeared to have developed breathing issues and was pronounced dead at 10.17am. As the Independent reported, while police were at the house, Colin allegedly carried out an attempted resurrection 
by chanting and praying for his life. All seven of Kennedy's family members were accused of manslaughter, false imprisonment, and causing or allowing the death of a vulnerable adult. A post-mortem examination revealed over 60 wounds, including a possible bite on Kennedy's body. And his father, Kenneth, along with four of his brothers, sustained injuries as well. The BBC reported, Kenneth told jurors he ordered his sons to take shifts and use overwhelming force, but denied that an association with cults, occults and secret societies played any part in the death. After a four-day jury deliberation, all seven family members were cleared of charges on March 14th. 2019 You aren't alone Another story with a young woman taken from a recent magazine article This time Hannah explains her encounters with an odd imaginary friend. These are Hannah's own words. The supernatural has always interested me. I grew up watching Most Haunted and Ghost Hunters, and now I love BuzzFeed's Supernatural series. I don't think ghosts are real in the sense that you can see an apparition of someone who died. But I do believe you can communicate with other spirits who would go through a journey to be able to communicate. I also believe in being possessed and objects having spirits attached to them. When we experience the odd imaginary friend situation, and heard footsteps in the house. We didn't jump to ghosts until quite late on. It was one of those things where if you'd watch it on a film, you'd say, why wouldn't you move out when you can hear things in the attic or running around upstairs? But we really didn't think much of it straight away. One of my cousins who I lived with was only a tiny human when it began he was somewhat mischievous. But when he began to say, Bella Lucia made me do it, we were like, um, who? Bella Lucia was someone only my cousin Tom could see and talk to. Apparently a girl who I think was about five years old. So here's the story. For context, when I was about 13 myself, my sister and my dad moved into a bigger house with my auntie, uncle and my two cousins, who were three and five at the time. It was a house that was relatively old, but nothing ancient. My sister and I shared a room on the bottom floor, and my dad was also in the room next to us, and we had our own bathroom. Upstairs. The kids had their own rooms, 
and my auntie and uncle had a room upstairs. My youngest cousin Tom was a mischievous kid and there were stories where he saw people and once said to his mum, who's that man in the kitchen? And on investigating, there was no one there. When he moved into this house with us, he would start to misbehave and would say Bellicia told me to do it. It was such a specifically odd name that we thought, what three-year-old would come up with that name? Then my sister and I started getting bruises and hearing noises that spooked us, but we hadn't put two and two together. One night, I heard running upstairs, and I said to my auntie the next morning that I heard Tom run around and asked if he'd had a rough night. And she said no. He slept all night in his bed. And I was like, no. I 1000% heard a little kid run around last night. And they said he didn't wake them up at all, which he typically would. Bella Lucia would then start talking to Tom more and more. And he would say, Bella Lucia said, it's time to go play upstairs now. We started to ask Tom who Bella Lucia was, and he was saying she's a little girl who likes to play, but we can't see her. We kind of thought he had an imaginary friend. That's cute. But he would do really obscure and dangerous things that weren't like him. Like trying to throw himself down the stairs, chewing through electrical cords, hitting himself. I kept thinking I could hear people in the kitchen, and when I'd go to look, no one was there. There'd been a few people who experienced the kitchen and thought someone was with them in there when there wasn't, and Tom told my sister there's someone in the kitchen, and there wasn't. I'd think I could hear stuff from the attic when I was upstairs, and we even got someone to inspect the loft, thinking there were animals, because it was so noisy, but there was nothing. I asked my sister what she remembers, and she said she remembers a balloon that wasn't helium, floating upwards and staying in the air and then being pulled about a bit and Tom said Bella Lucia was holding it. When we started to feel more creeped out in the house we googled Bella Lucia. The name translates to beautiful light which is often to do with angels or angelic meanings. We couldn't find anything too much other than a book called The Haunting of Bella Lucia. But after we had that thought, we became terrified of Bella Lucia and who she'd ask my cousin to hurt next. It was minimal violence, not much a three-year-old can do. We'd moved out a year or so after 
and my cousin hasn't had any weird contact with Bella Lucia since, and doesn't remember a thing. Which is normally weird, because kids don't tend to forget imaginary friends. It never got to the point where we were too scared to stay there. We kind of laughed about it. When Tom turned creepy, we would all start to freak out a bit. We were more worried about him being hurt, honestly. They seemed to have a good pact with Bella Lucia, that would mean they'd play together and sometimes be naughty. I never thought about the fact that the next tenants might experience it, because I assumed that whatever it was, it was attached to my cousin. I don't think I could live in a haunted house, but I'd love to experience it for a night in a properly haunted place. I always think when you know what kind of ghost experience to expect, you create the fear yourself, and every noise you hear you assume is a ghost. I think if I lived somewhere and it had a friendly spirit in there, I wouldn't mind. The first sign of a paranormal activity moment, and I think I'd be out. Although that's easier said than done, and would make a great viral video. Keep listening, it's all okay, you are safe. Japan is a country that has a rich history of ghost stories. Some have seen terrifying urban legends spread about them. I'm going to talk about free spirits that have haunted the nightmares of many Japanese citizens for years. Let's start with Akamanto. Akamanto is supposedly the spirit of a man dressed in a long flowing red cloak and a pale mask. He haunts the bathrooms of public places, especially schools. Most often it is said that if you sit in the final stall of the women's bathroom, that is where he is most likely to appear. If you see Akamanto, he will present you with two pieces of paper, one red, one blue. The choice of the two colours isn't as simple as it seems. It is said that choosing red will result in Akamanto ripping the victim's skin off, whereas blue will cause him to strangle them. The only way to survive an encounter with the red cloak is to say no to both options and run from the bathroom. But whatever you do, don't suggest a different colour to him. That would be the worst thing you could do. There are few urban legends in Japan as infamous as the slit-mouthed woman. The origins of the slit-mouthed woman vary, although many believe she was mutilated by her boyfriend, causing her death and leaving her vengeful spirit to roam the earth. 
This spirit appears in the form of a woman with a partially covered face. She will approach unsuspecting victims and ask if they think she is attractive. If they say no, she quickly dispatches them with a blade she keeps hidden up her sleeve. If they say yes, however, she takes off her face covering to reveal a hideously mutilated mouth. She then asks the question again, do you find me attractive? If you say no at this point, it's the same outcome. She attacks you with her knife. If you say yes, however, you'll survive the encounter. However, she will cut your mouth in the same manner that hers was. Some say it's possible to confuse the slipmouth woman by telling her she looks average or so-so, which results in her letting you go. However, just running away will result in certain death. Another spirit that is said to haunt the bathrooms of Japan is Kashima Reiko. This spirit has a bit more of a tragic backstory to it. Supposedly, she is a young girl who late one night was hit by a train, severing her legs from her body and causing her to slowly bleed to death on the train tracks. It is said that lone occupants of the bathrooms in Japan sometimes see her. The legless torso of Kashima Reiko will crawl towards them and ask them if they know where her legs are. You better know where her legs are, or at least be really polite with your answer to stand a chance with Kashima Reiko. If you respond with an answer she doesn't like, she will instantly tear your legs off, seemingly leaving you to join Reiko in her search for all eternity. One of the most commonly reported ghost encounters is people seeing those that have recently passed without their knowledge. Here's an example from a woman named Margaret Gladstone from way back in 1948. In her words, Returning to my flat in Westminster one afternoon, I saw two friends coming towards me from the other side of the street. I had no time to stop and hoped that they would not notice me. I crossed the street behind them and hurried home. At breakfast time, a friend rang to tell me that the man I had seen the day before had died in the night. I was amazed and described how I had seen him and his wife apparently in perfect health. My friend exclaimed that that was an impossibility, as he had been ill for some days. The widow I may mention is still alive.
she is in here with you. Folklore has long spoken about visitors that come to us at the moment of death. Maybe they are here to transport us to the next realm, or maybe to inform loved ones of a passing. That certainly seems to be the case in this tale. This letter was published in 1967, but refers to an incident that happened nearly 100 years earlier. Here is what the letter said. The reference in Roy Christian's article to the death of the Marquis of Hastings in 1868 reminds me of a story that my grandfather wrote in his diary that year. Heard of the death of the Marquis of Hastings yesterday in London. He was only 26 years old. A curious thing happened in connection with his death. There is a tradition in the family that before a death of a member of it, some other member hears the noise of carriage wheels driving to his door when no carriage is in fact there. This actually happened at the castle Cardiff where Lord Bute, when Lord Bute was down here lately, and he even went to the door to see if a carriage was there. It was remarked at the time Lord Bute being a Hastings on the mother's side. My grandfather was Lord Bute's cousin and knew him well. Some 60 years later, the then Marquis of Bute and his wife were at Dumfries house. One evening after dinner, they heard a carriage. They waited, but no one was announced. So they rang for the butler, but no one had come. The next day, news came that a member of the Hastings family died. Don't you just hate it when landlords don't exactly give you the full information about a property? This is what Reddit user Digsdoors experienced in an apartment that appeared to be hiding something much darker. A few years ago, I moved into a one-bedroom apartment in Melbourne, Australia, they went on to recall. It was my first time living on my own. The apartment block had been built in the 1930s. I'd been there for a few months when I came home from work one day and went into the bathroom. I saw something strange. A wooden board which had covered a hole in the ceiling that led to a small attic space. They fractured in two pieces on the ground. I examined the pieces. The board was an inch thick, and it would have taken Bruce Lee to break it. I thought the landlord had sent someone to work on the attic. I was frozen stiff with fear. Someone is up there for sure, I thought. I emailed pictures to the landlord, asking if anyone had been there, with an undertone of annoyance since she hadn't warned me. Her reply read, please call me as soon as you're able to. I called and she explained that her last two tenants had said the same thing happened. 
she promised to replace the board and she did. A month later I woke up one night around 4am. My body was covered in goosebumps. It felt like someone was rubbing his or her hands on me. Everything was silent. But then I heard a dragon sound coming from above my bed. It was as if someone was pulling a sack of potatoes. I froze, convinced someone was up there. There is no way an animal could make that sound. After five minutes, I worked up the courage to turn on the light, arm myself with a cricket bat and walk to the bathroom. That's when I saw that the new board covering the hole was broken in two. I felt sick. The dragon sound had stopped. But I heard something else. Whispering. The sound was clear and coming from the attic. It sounded like children's voices. And I could hear one sentence repeated over and over. It's your turn. It's your turn. I switched on every light in the apartment to make things feel normal. It was 5am and dark outside. I watched TV to try to unwind, then a fuse blew. My pet budgie Dexter, whom I kept in the kitchen, usually never made a sound at night. But he started squawking like he was being strangled. I'd never heard him make those sort of noises. He was screaming. I grabbed my car keys, ran out, sat in my car and waited there until the sun came up. When I saw people walking their dogs, this comforted me enough to go back in. The front door was open, but I figure I might have forgotten to close it when I ran out. I went to the kitchen to check on Dexter, but he wasn't in his cage. I felt sick again. All my windows were closed, so I looked everywhere inside. When I walked to the bathroom, I heard splashing. Dexter was half drowned in the toilet. I took him out, washed him and dried him. I was so confused. At 8am, I called the landlord and gave her a watered down version of the night. Oh wow, you heard the whispering too, she said. I stayed in that apartment for another 18 months. I heard the whispering on a few occasions and twice the board covering the hole in the ceiling moved. Although I live elsewhere now, the landlord recently called. She said that her new tenants had begged to speak with me about some of the stuff that's been going on there 
get it. It's their problem now. driving this car? Where are they taking you? Don't worry. Rest. La Llorona was a name that will strike fear into the hearts of many around Latin America. Also known as the Wailing Woman, the story changes from place to place, but it normally claims that she lost a loved one. In La Parva, a ski resort in Chile, their Wailing Woman has a name. She was called Lola and many of the locals knew her well in her previous life. Many years ago, a beautiful day on the slopes, Lola had planned to spend the day skiing with her young son. But as is known to happen in this area, a thick fog rolled in. Visibility became poor, and the pair lost each other in the cloud. Lola, in a panic, began running through the thick fog, screaming her son's name, but she only heard silence. Suddenly, Lola tripped and began tumbling down a rocky slope. Luckily, she was found by a lift operator who was heading back to his hut. Lola was in a bad way, her body torn to shreds by the jagged rocks. She was alive, but only just. She was only capable of the faintest whisper. She didn't ask for help, she just kept saying her son's name over and over. The lift operator pulled her to his cabin, where he began to bandage her wounds. Realising her injuries were serious, he rushed to fetch a doctor. The pair made their way back to the hut, the thick fog still clinging to the area. But when they opened the door, they found that the bed was empty. The bloody sheets were the only evidence that Lola had been there at all. Neither Lola or her son were ever seen again. The bodies have never been found. The fog cleared and it seemingly took them with it. To this day, 
people in La Parva swear they can hear Lola calling for her son, but never hear a response. Still awake? I hope not. What happens next will be much easier if you're asleep. Don't worry if you are. Just try not to think about it. And whatever you do, do not turn around. As I said earlier, if you've enjoyed this style of video, let me know. And I'd love to feature some of your personal stories in future entries. So please do get in touch if you have an experience you'd like to share. My email is in the description. I hope you've enjoyed these creepy tales. Do let me know if you have any favourites. Until next time. Sweet dreams.